MSW Media. News with swearing. Daily beans, daily beans. Daily beans, daily beans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Thursday, March 18th, 2021. Today, eight people, six of Asian descent, have been gunned down at three spas in Atlanta. A new intelligence report says racially or ethnically motivated violent extremists present the most lethal threats in the United States. The Washington Post is now echoing our recent guest Jen Budd's assertion that there is no border crisis. Biden supports reframing the filibuster. Virginia restores voting rights to nearly 70,000 former felons. A judge releases video contradicting insurrectionist Jacob Chansley's 60 Minutes interview, and Trump's D.C. hotel is under congressional scrutiny. I'm A.G. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Hey, Dana, how are you today? I'm okay. I'm a little, my heart's heavy with um, the the hate, the anti-Asian hate that's going on in this country um, and perpetuated by the the former guy and just Mm -hmm. unbelievable. So I'm, I'm, I know we'll get into that story, but my heart's a little heavy today, but I'm doing okay. Same. And of course, our thoughts are are with the people uh, of Atlanta, the family and friends uh, and the the victims of this absolutely horrific shooting um, that happened. And and that's going to be our lead story. And then also... um, We've, I just want to let everybody know that on Friday we'll be talking to Malcolm Nance about some of this intelligence reporting about violent extremism uh, in this country, and that should be a really uh, good interview. So I hope you turn in, uh, tune in for that. And then, of course, uh, Dana, you and I, uh, or you and me, you and I, well, we will, we will be live on there Thursday <laughs> on the Stereo app, all of us, the Royal We. And that's Thursday at 5 Pacific, 8 Eastern. Uh, so everybody tune into that. You can um, set up an account by going to Stereo.com slash Allison Gill. It's free to do. You can follow me at Allison Gill. You can follow Dana at DG Comedy. And you'll be uh, notified when we go live, uh, unless you turn your notifications off, which sometimes I do. Just, you know, letting you know. It's a yeah. cool way to get it. Uh, all right. Again, we do have a lot of news to get to. So let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. Okay, lead story today, at least eight people were killed and another person was injured when a man opened fire on Tuesday evening at three separate Atlanta area massage businesses in in a northwestern suburb and in the northeastern part of the city. A suspect has been arrested about 150 miles south of Atlanta within hours of the shootings. Six of the victims were of Asian descent and women. The shootings put Asian communities across the United States on alert. It prompted law enforcement officials to increase patrols. But the authorities in Atlanta said on Wednesday that they did not believe the shootings were racially motivated. In a press conference, the cops said the gunman told them that he had a sexual addiction and was having a really bad day and that he may have targeted the spas that he had visited in the past to eliminate a temptation. Now, I, I'm, fr- I'm very frustrated that um, I, I'm, I, I'm just I'm irate that the police are just sort of repeating what the gunman said as though it were a statement of fact. Right. Now, the Cherokee County Sheriff's Office released surveillance images of the suspect wearing a black and red T-shirt, driving a black SUV outside one of the spas. The authorities urged people to call if they recognized the man or the vehicle. And about 90 minutes later, the Sheriff's Office in Crisp County, Georgia, about 150 miles south of Atlanta, received information that the suspect was traveling south on I-75. 
And Georgia State Patrol and Crisp County deputies spotted a black 2007 Hyundai Tucson around mile marker 101 or so. And a state trooper performed a maneuver causing the SUV to spin out of control, probably a pit maneuver. And the driver was arrested without incident and was taken to the Crisp County Jail. Uh, a 9mm gun was found in his vehicle. He is scheduled to be arraigned on Thursday, according to officials. Uh, he, Mr. Long was charged with four counts of murder and one count of aggravated assault as being held without bond. That's according to the Cherokee County Sheriff's Office. Authorities say they did not believe there was a racial motive for the shootings, but that's apparently based on what the gunman told them. Captain Baker said at a news conference, Mr. Long told law enforcement officials in, in Tuesday night he had a sexual addiction and he wanted to eliminate the spas as temptation. So, again, um, I I am furious that the, the police are just, you know, they, they did say this early in the investigation, but you, there's no reason to release what the gunman said his motive was. Absolutely. It's a press release that should not have been given. Yeah. I mean, he just shouldn't have done it. No, and, and we'll, see, we'll see what happens. But um, there's more... Um, that's going to be talked about in in this violent domestic violent extremism report that I'll go over here in a minute uh, that has just come out and laws need to be passed and you know we we did get uh, the house did pass the uh, uh, renewed violence against women act um, uh, today but that we just need to have we just need to have stronger laws and and speaking of laws we have some news on the filibuster dana uh thank you ag yeah president biden on tuesday actually said he supports changing the senate's filibuster rule back to requiring senators to talk on the floor to hold up a bill the first time he has endorsed reforming the procedure the white house has for weeks insisted the president's opposed to eliminating so the comments that were made in an exclusive interview with ABC's George Stephanopoulos. Stephanopoulos. <laughs> yes. Uh, it's hard. It's tough. I know I'm not the only one listening. Uh, could galvanize reform advocates who argue that the legislative filibuster is stymieing Biden's agenda in the narrowly divided Senate? Well, <laughs> duh. Water uh, wet. The sky is blue. I uh. know. What? Um, Biden said, and I quote, I don't think that you have to eliminate the filibuster. You ha- what you have to you have to do it what it used to be when I first got to the Senate back in the old days, Biden said, you had to stand up and command the floor. You had to keep talking. Yes, that's what it should be. Uh, Stephanopoulos asks, so you're for that reform? You're for bringing back the talking filibuster? And Biden said, I am. That's what it's supposed to be. So Senate minority, just in case someone didn't hear that, Senate minority leader Mitch McConnell uh, from, you know, from Kentucky on Tuesday warned Democrats against changing the legislative filibuster. He said, this chaos, this chaos will not open up an express lane to liberal change. I can't, <laughs> That's I don't pretty even know good. What he sounds like. Thank, thank you. It would not open up an express line for Biden presidency to speed into the history books, he said. The Senate would be more like a hundred car pileup, nothing moving. Yeah. Uh, which is interesting. Coming from him? He's the one that actually led the hundred car pileup in the last administration, two administrations ago, when Obama's second term hit. He was the car leading the pileup. He slammed on the brakes and everyone ran right mm-hmm. into him. McConnell said that Republicans would take advantage of any rule changes the next time they retain the Senate majority. Now, this is where my beans go. If we actually got rid of the filibuster and made sure that voting rights were passed, they would never have the Senate again. Yeah. And I I put out uh, a series of three tweets in um, 
in the style of the the old Saturday Night Live Dick in a Box, mm-hmm. um, and you know because Biden came out this and and to me reforming the filibuster is step one, and so step one put a hole in the filibuster. Step two <laughs> is to make DC a state. Step three is to kill the filibuster, mm-hmm. and that's the way you do it. Yeah, and that's sort of I think you know it's especially talking. Um, to Megan Hatcher Mays yesterday about DC statehood. Uh, that That's where we need to go. I think that that's the path. Uh, and I think that while, yes, we, we, we want the filibuster gone and we want voting rights to be, uh, pro- we want proper representation in Congress, this is an important first step toward that. So that's at least good. Indeed. Um, and now, this is what I was talking about a little bit earlier, a report out from the Office of uh, Director of National Intelligence, Department of Homeland Security, and Department of Justice reveals that there is an elevated threat of violence from domestic violent extremists that uh, is driven not only by racism and anti-government ideologies, but also by the big lie, attacks on the validity of the 2020 election and COVID restrictions, like what we saw in Michigan at the attacks mm-hmm. of the state house and, uh, and uh, the, the governor there. They single out the extremists that are most likely to carry out attacks. Quoting from this four-page report, very succinct report, quote, racially or ethnically motivated violent extremists and militia violent extremists present the most lethal domestic violent extremist threats with racially motivated violent extremists most likely to conduct mass casualty attacks against civilians and militia violent extremists typically targeting law enforcement and government personnel and facilities. So racists, white supremacists, and those belonging to militias are the most dangerous, all homegrown, and all of these extremists have easy access to guns. Uh, Alex Mayorkas said today that this point, at this point in time, domestic violent extremism, the lone wolf, the loose affiliation of individuals following ideologies of hate and extremism that are willing and able to take those ideologies and execute them in unlawful and violent ways is the greatest threat in the homeland right now. And these three agencies... ODNI, DHS, and Department of Justice usually deal with foreign threats. And and this is all right here in the United States. White supremacists are especially concerning because they have not only support here in the U.S., but they have a transcontinental uh, support group kind of going on. I mean, then, and that was brought up in this four-page report is the support that they get from other white supremacist groups around the globe. McCabe told CNN this report is remarkable in its directness and succinctness, and it's not a piece of work produced by a group subject to political motivation either. These folks are professionals. They have access to the most wide-reaching intelligence products, products on the subject. So it's very, um, a very alarming report, especially... Uh, in light of of the attacks today, uh, I'm, we're, I apologize. The news is heavy at the top, but I promise you, we're going to get through this. And, and as you know, the episode is going to get lighter, and we're going to end and together <laughs> having a palate cleanser. So, you know, just continue to stay with us through this hard ones. Um, this one's really interesting. This is from the Washington Post, and this is a quote: "The way many Republicans describe it, President Biden has thrown open the border between Mexico and the United States so that anyone who wants to come into the country can do so illegally or legally." Well, we all know that's not true. <laughs> so, the former guy accused Biden of quote recklessly eliminating our border. Security measures. Oh. Yeah. The border's gone, AG. We the don't border's have a... gone. Yep. Oh. I'm sorry to break it to you on your podcast. The border is gone. I mean, I'm here in San Diego. There should be a huge party. Yeah. No. Uh, it's coming. It's coming. Okay. Yeah. The caravans. So many caravans. Uh, yeah. So the, the, the former guy went on to say that he had eliminated the border. He got rid of security measures, controls 
All of the things. Oh, all the things. All the things. Yes. Well, we know he's a, he's a man of a few, but many words that mean nothing. They've made 100,000 arrests. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So Texas Governor Mr. Abbott says Biden has rushed to implement open border policies. Wait a minute. I, didn't Greg Abbott say all of Texas was open like two weeks ago? I guess he didn't mean the borders. Okay. Mm -mm, mm -mm. So Rep. Steve Scalise, who's a Republican from Louisiana, says the new president, quote, sent a message across South and Central America that our border is now open. <sighs> yes. But uh, many of those who live along the border in Texas say that while there has been a dramatic increase in the number of migrants caught crossing illegally, as happens each spring, uh, the border itself has been heavily restricted for nearly a year because of the coronavirus pandemic. And let's take into a thought that maybe now that the former guy's not the president, more people want to live here. Oh, I don't know. Um, now, in Texas, Rio Grande's Valley, home to this is 13 international bridges for pedestrians and vehicles. Traffic at the crossings is actually down 50 to 60 percent, representing millions in losses, according to the U.S. Customs and Border Protection and local officials. In Hidalgo County alone, leaders say cross-border commerce represents about a third of its revenue. The same is happening at the 15 other international bridges and border crossings in the state. And this is a quote. There's no open borders here, Hidalgo County Judge Richard Cortez said. The border is shut down to most everyone. U.S. Customs and Border Protection is on pace to make more than 130,000 arrests and detentions in March. This is up from 100,000 a month ago and 34,000 a year ago. There has been a marked increase in the number of migrant children and teenagers arriving without their parents, and the Biden administration has struggled to find space and shelters for them as they await placement with a vetted relative or sponsor. But... For border communities in Texas and beyond, this is the beginning of a third wave of increasingly routine migration upticks in recent years, where you, this happens all every time. <laughs> Over the years, however, the federal government has taken steps to keep these influxes largely out of sight of local residents. So asylum-seeking families are not overrunning the streets of the border cities. This is from the officials. The rare instances when a resident of McAllen, Brownsville, Loretto, or other Texas border cities might encounter migrants are at the airports, the bus stations, the shelters, or passing through a river-adjacent community. Several border leaders said the political rhetoric around the migrant surges obscures the real problems facing their communities. In the Rio Grande Valley, the more pressing crises have been destructive hurricanes, a devastating winter freeze, the grave toll of the pandemic, and the constraints that a closed border has on their region's economic recovery. But what a better way to distract from all of that than blame this administration for a migrant mm -hmm. issue that is, it's not an it's an issue in the sense that we need to revamp our immigration laws, but it's not a new issue. Mm -hmm. uh, property owners are still waiting to hear whether Biden's Justice Department will abort land condemnation cases initiated during border wall construction. Now, this is a big deal. People who live near the river want to know if the federal government plans to restore flood levees damaged by unfinished border wall projects before hurricane season begins. That's what matters to them. It could be devastating to them if they have crops to their properties. And this was done during the Trump administration mm -hmm. where they just decided they were just going to seize the land and build a wall through it. Yeah. And he actually uh, said, go ahead and do it. I'll pardon you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, huh. Very, very uh, interesting. Yet there's no border crisis. I wish CNN would stop with these talking points. Agreed. This is a regular seasonal influx. 
um, the the detain the detentions are being made. It's not open. They're just making it sound. It's just absolutely awful. And then, of course, when we spoke to Jen Budd earlier in the week about that seemingly fake video propaganda stuff of of migrants crossing a river uh, in a boat where they're all wearing masks and so is the smuggler and the smuggler's allowing himself to be videotaped. It's just like, okay, something's off. And Breitbart uh, is pushing this video. I mean, it came from their from right wing propaganda. So. I really hate that the mainstream media is, they're shitting the bed on this one. Um, But I'll end this segment with a good news story. Give me it. Yep. We do have some other stuff here. We got some good news. Okay. And this is kind of going to bring us into our interview with Ellie Honig. And then we're going to have the good news segment. Uh, A few other headlines here. Governor Northam has restored voting rights for 70,000 former felons in Virginia. Mm hmm. Wonderful. And from Anna Cabrera, the D.C. Attorney General's office told a judge it wants to depose Alan Weisselberg. That's in that civil suit, the civil lawsuit alleging the former president's business misused inauguration funds. That's that's the inauguration civil suit. Alice, (laughs) Alan Weisselberg, alleging. (laughs) And the House Transportation Infrastructure Committee asked the Biden administration on Tuesday to provide detailed financial records on the former guy's Trump's, uh, the former guy's Washington Hotel, which is located in a federally owned building and must give the government the financial data as part of its lease the gsa under trump refused to hand that over again that's emily remember emily gsa emily i do she's the one who helped facilitate the 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 stopping of the new fbi facility uh headquartered across the street there and trump was worried that if if he moved the fbi into their new facilities that that old building would be bought by a hotel developer and and compete with the trump international dc hotel so all of that, all of these financial records from the hotel need to be handed over. So that's going to be interesting, too. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll keep you posted on that. And we'll be right back with Ellie Honey. We're going to discuss new video showing Jacob Chansley lied to 60 Minutes. I know. Big shocker. Um, stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey everyone, it's AG, and today's episode of Daily Beans is brought to you by BetterHelp. Life can be very stressful and unpredictable, but you should always remember you don't have to face things alone. So if you're struggling with anything that's preventing you from living your happiest life, I highly recommend BetterHelp. BetterHelp provides professional counseling to help you navigate life's challenges. It's not a crisis line or self-help. It's licensed professional therapy done securely online. They assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist, and you can start communicating in less than 24 hours. You know I've had my own challenges with anxiety and PTS. I know how important it is to seek help rather than to try to take on everything by yourself. And the great thing is BetterHelp services are available for clients worldwide, so you can log into your account anytime from anywhere and send a message to your counselor. You get timely and thoughtful responses, and you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, too, so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. That's very important. And it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available. So visit their website, read testimonials like this one from L.A., who says, I look forward to my sessions with Tina. She has an excellent job of listening and never judging. She excels not only at giving great coping mechanisms, but also getting to the root of the issue. This helps to actually affect change in negative thinking patterns. I would highly recommend her services. So visit BetterHelp.com slash Daily Beans. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. And you can join the over 800,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Special offer for Daily Beans listeners. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Daily Beans. 
Hey, everybody, welcome back. We're joined today by our friend, former federal and state prosecutor and host of The Third Degree. It's a podcast now on Preach Joint called Cafe. You welcome Ellie Honig. <laughs> Thank you for the, uh, the plug. Uh, <laughs> always happy to be with you, AG. Yeah, it's, it's good to talk to you again. Uh, the circumstances are never fun, but it is good to speak with you. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to talk a little bit. A judge apparently is uh, upset again at uh, our uh, very own, uh, is it Jacob Chansley? Is yeah. that? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because he, he basically, you know, he, he went on 60 Minutes and told this, spun this web of lies. And uh, the judge had, and the court has actually released video to the public to dispute it. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, there's a lot of unusual happening here. First of all, we're, we're going to call him Jacob Chansley and not you know, the shaman, because that's just ridiculous. Um, (laughs) I mean, you know, the guy's, the guy's a a joker. Um, so here's a couple things that are unusual. First of all, to have somebody making public statements about their case in such a high profile public forum as 60 minutes is not a great idea. It's a good way to tick off your judge, whether you're being truthful or not. And it appears in this case, Chansley was not being truthful, but let me say though, The judge kind of blew it here a little bit because the judge is now all super angry and heated that this guy spoke to 60 Minutes. But unless a judge prohibits you from doing that, issues what we call a gag order, tells the parties you're not to speak to the media, there's really nothing against the law about doing it. It's not a great idea, but the judge doesn't really have any right to say, how dare you speak to the media, unless the judge has already issued a gag order, which it doesn't appear he had done in this case. Now, that said, going uh, on camera and lying is not a good idea. It's not necessarily a crime unto itself, but you're going to anger your judge and it, it, it could well limit the types of defenses you can raise as a defendant. And it may even highlight other lies that you've given as a defendant to investigators, maybe to the court, and that can land you in a lot more trouble. Mm, right, because we know he lied to 60 Minutes, but we don't know if if the, the tale he told on 60 Minutes, because basically he told 60 Minutes, hey, the cops waved me in. I was in the third wave of people. I was just yep. entering. It was, you know, hunky-dory. Everything was jovial, kind of like Ron Johnson says. But the video proves otherwise. He was in the first wave. He was at the front. He, he he went in behind, a you know, after somebody had broken out some windows and he was one of the first people in there. And so uh, we know he lied to 60 Minutes, but we don't know what he told prosecutors when they questioned him. Right. And, and it also appears to, to show that he lied when he said that um, he just walked in, the doors were open, you know, there was no reason to think anything was wrong. I mean, there's video of people smashing windows and tearing the place apart, and then the video sort of pans over, and there he is. So, uh, you know, he, he was of all of his senses, and any human being of all their senses could easily tell that this was not just, oh, the door's open, I'll go take a tour of the Capitol building. It was <laughs> obviously very, very different than that. Um, it's very unusual to see the judge do what he did here, to, to go out of his way and say, I'm going to release these videos to the public, like on my own, sua sponte, as lawyers say. Um, To see a judge do that is really unusual. And it shows me that the judge, A, understands how much public focus there is on all of these cases, but this case in particular, and B, how ticked off the judge was to see this misleading at best statement given on 60 Minutes that you're, you are off to a very bad start with this judge if you're Jacob Chansley or his lawyer. Now, could releasing these videos come back and bite the court in any way by, you know, uh, I don't know, tainting a jury pool or making a like, could, could he now Jacob Chansley appeal uh, any conviction for 
you know, uh, I don't know for wow for anything like that. <laughs> That's interesting. Um, I think that is possible. I mean, I guess both sides of this are going to accuse one another of trying to taint or actually tainting a jury pool. The judge may well say the reason I released these is because I felt a need to correct the misleading record that Chansley had created on 60 Minutes. Um, but on the flip side, yeah, I suppose Chansley could argue if he's ever convicted, uh, and I think he will be. I think he could argue on appeal. Well, the judge actually prejudiced the jury pool by releasing these videos. Now, if, if those videos ultimately are admissible, and I think they will be, it's kind of hard to argue the jury is, has been prejudiced by seeing evidence that it properly saw at trial anyway. Right. They just saw it a little bit <laughs> earlier. That's that's a tough argument to make. Where, where, where things really get prejudicial is where the jury's exposed to things that they don't ultimately see or won't ultimately see at trial. I mean, the perfect example is in the Derek Chauvin trial that's happening in Minneapolis right now. This news about this $27 million settlement that the city entered into with the family of George Floyd, that will never be admissible at trial. That's entirely inadmissible at trial. Yet several jurors have seen it and they've already lost several jurors because they've said, yeah, I, I think that would influence me, even though it's completely inadmissible at trial. So this is a little bit of a different situation than that. Yeah, because with this putting this video out, I mean, it's hard to taint a jury with facts. Uh, and, and, you know, like you said, the argument is, hey, you tainted the jury when you lied on 60 Minutes. I'm correcting the record. Well, not just with facts, but with admissible facts, mm. because the, the the settlement in the Floyd case uh, the Chauvin Floyd case is a fact, but it's not admissible. Right. You know, these videos are facts, but they are very much admissible. So it's harder to argue that you've been prejudiced by potential jurors seeing something that they will see from the jury box anyway. Right. Now, uh, as a prosecutor, is this kind of video evidence something you would use during trial to to indicate that he's a liar? That's an interesting strategic decision. Um, I guess option A is play the 60 Minutes video, then play the real videos, the actual videotapes from the event, and argue he's lying and why would he lie about this? But I don't know. I don't know that I want them to hear his defense. I mean, you know, prosecutors sometimes say, don't, don't let, don't put in the defendant's defense for him. If he wants to make his defense, let him take the stand and you can cross-examine him. So I think what I would do is just say, forget about 60 minutes. I'm just going to play the actual footage from the Capitol. Right. I'm going to say, there he is, folks. Look at him. He's walking in. He's 10 yards away from someone who's smashing window and he's brandishing his spear and he's threatening the vice president. I don't think I would play that 60 minutes tape for for a jury. I might play it for a judge if I'm trying to keep him locked up pending trial to argue that he's out there spreading uh, false messages and misleading the public. But but for tr a, a trial jury, probably not. Yeah, yeah good point. Uh, I have a couple FBI questions for you, but I have to take a quick break. Will you stick around? Yeah, of course. Great. Everybody, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and this segment of the podcast is brought to you by Nebbia. No matter what I'm going through or how stressed I feel, I always love a good hot shower. I get the steam going. I like to sing in the shower. I get my best ideas there. That is why I'm excited to tell you about Nebbia. They want to empower your shower. It's backed by some of the biggest names in Silicon Valley, including Tim Cook, and it's designed by former Tesla, NASA, and Apple engineers who spent years researching and developing a superior shower that saves water and is anything but ordinary. It's beautiful. The Nebbia takes your shower to a completely different level. It's like a steam room combined with an invigorating shower. It's like I've been to a 
day spa. The Nebbia by Moen Spa Shower is Nebbia's most advanced shower yet, with twice the coverage and half the water usage of standard shower heads. Despite using 45% less water, the spray is 81% more powerful than the competition. Nebbia's atomized droplets rinse shampoo and conditioner out of the longest, thickest hair. It can be easily installed in 15 minutes or less without plumbers or contractors. If you can change a light bulb, you can install Nebbia by Moen. Nebbia balances functionality with beauty as well. It's available in four premium finishes to complement any bathroom with white and chrome, spot-resistant nickel, which is what I got, matte black, and black and chrome. And they also offer accessories like shower shelves and shower curtains, which pair perfectly with the shower's design. The Nebbia by Moen Spa Shower starts at just $1.99. And for Daily Beans listeners, we have a deal. They're the first 100 people to use code BEANS at Nebbia.com. will get 15% off site-wide. Nebbia rarely does a deal like this, so it's great to jump on it now. Go to Nebbia.com slash beans. That's N-E-B-I-A dot com slash beans to check out what they have to offer. And again, the first 100 people to use the code BEANS when checking out will save 15%. Again, that's Nebbia.com slash beans and use that code BEANS to save 15%. Everybody, welcome back. We're talking with Ellie Honig, former federal and state prosecutor. And uh, Ellie, before the break, I mentioned I wanted to ask you a question about the FBI. Recently, uh, Sheldon Whitehouse, senator, had sent a letter to Merrick Garland saying he wanted him to oversee uh, the FBI or, you know, the, basically the, the FBI background check on Kavanaugh that was happening during uh, his confirmation hearings uh, when, you know, when he was confirmed. And I was wondering what your thoughts were a- about that, because we know uh, Christopher Ray was in charge at the time. We know back then there were a lot of reports uh, about the FBI kind of not really doing anything about the background check into Kavanaugh, not interviewing Blase Ford, for example, or Kavanaugh or anything like that. Uh, and so I was wondering what your thoughts of what, what, like, how would that look in a, I mean, is the Senate going to investigate this in a committee? Right. It, this is a tough one for the FBI. I mean, first of all, any senator, any person can request that the FBI investigate anything. Ultimately, it is up to the FBI and to DOJ itself. Will they dig back into the Kavanaugh background check? I I suspect they will not. I mean, look, it's up to them. Um, I just don't think they're going to see any point to it. I I mean, what's the bottom line? What if we what if the FBI determines that this investigation should have been broader than it was? I mean, look, I don't think there's any question that the investigation the FBI did in the Kavanaugh confirmation was rushed and unduly limited and, you know, far from what you would see in a full investigation. But it also seems like that was the result of a sort of broker deal that was struck. So ultimately, I I doubt they're going to dig back into the Dr. Ford allegations. You know, I've seen reporting that they may dig back into the into some of the issues about Kavanaugh's strange financial dealings, <laughs> that he had this large debt that disappeared very suddenly. Um, and and why that is. But I think FBI is going to ask sort of what's the bottom line here? What if we find something that should have been done differently? I mean, where does that go? So I, I wouldn't hold out hope that the FBI is going to crack open a brand new investigation here. Yeah, I know. It seems to be more aimed at trying to find out what happened and why it was mm-hmm. limited and who limited it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just to sort of get that information out there so that perhaps the FBI can maybe... Uh, you know, up, update some policy or something as far as those kinds of things and, and, and investigations go. I, that's kind of I think they're investigating the investigation, not necessarily what Kavanaugh did. Yeah, I mean, I guess that would make a little more sense that if they were looking at a broader systemic type of reform. But ultimately, the what the question about what 
background check the FBI does is, is really more up to the Senate itself because the Senate holds that advise and consent power. So the Senate can ask the FBI, hey, we'd like you to look at, for example, every single thing you can find on this nominee, or we'd like you to investigate narrowly this one allegation. Um, and so I'm not sure, you know, I, I guess if the, if the argument from Senator Whitehouse is, well, we, the Senate, are trying to figure out what the proper scope of these investigations should be. Okay, it sounds a little bit like the the cart before the horse here. It sounds a little bit like what he really wants to do is dig into the Kavanaugh case. (laughs) And by the way, it reminds me of the whole congressional um, uh, rationale for why they needed Trump's tax returns. Like, oh, no, we don't want to snoop around in what this president's doing. We want to investigate potential legislation. I mean, come on. You just want to snoop around in Trump's taxes. There's no question about it. So (laughs) my eyebrows are a little raised at the real motives of the Senate here. Well, true. But Ways and Means Committee can get taxed returns for any reason, snooping around or otherwise. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) But the thing is that they kind of abandoned that. And instead, they went with this Nadler approach that, well, no, we're considering real legislation here. It's like, come on, you you just want to see what Trump's up to. We know that. Right. They wanted to look into the effectiveness of the presidential and vice presidential tax audit program. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Like you would need to see any specific individual's actual tax returns that come up with legislation on that. I'm dubious about that rationale. Yeah. uh, But well, you know, politically speaking, they couldn't really just say because we asked for it. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You know, which which technically by law they could do. Right. That's the better way to do it. Right. (laughs) Ways and means. Exactly what you said. They they all they have to do is say the word and they get it. And they could say we're ways and means. We're saying the word. We get it. We don't have to give come up with some legislative pretext. That would have been the cleaner way to do it. I don't understand why they didn't just do it that way. Yeah. And I haven't yet heard about any cleanup going on over at the IRS with those commissioners and, right. and legal counsels he installed that, you know, happened to also make money off of renting Trump properties. Uh, and and he thought was so important that he rammed it in before Barr was even confirmed. So, <laughs> you know, we'll see, uh, you know, we'll keep up on on what's going on over at the IRS. And, and you know, Ways and Means Committee is going to have a much friendlier IRS commissioner uh, going forward that will probably hand those taxes over. But now, you know, what are they what are they looking at that the Manhattan District Attorney isn't already doing? Right. To me, it's much more important that the prosecutors have that than Congress. And, and, and the prosecutors are in much better position to do something with that information as well. Yeah. And speaking of that, do you know anything about Pomerantz that you can share with us that he's he's been hired over there? I think uh, I know that uh, uh, in Jane Mayer's piece over the weekend in The New Yorker, she talked to Ann Milgram, former New Jersey attorney general, who had said she believes Pomerantz is there to bridge the, you know, the the retirement of Vance and whoever the new elector, you know, the new elected DA is going to be, but that they feel that that Vance is either going to charge or not charge the case before he leaves. Yeah, I, I agree with all of those statements. I don't know Mark Pomerantz personally. He left the SDNY a bit before I arrived. He was a very respected person in the office or a very respected alum. And I mean, really, I mean, everyone's respected, but I mean, sort of if, if he ended up on a case as defense lawyer, you would go, oh, boy, you know, this is OK. They're big time. Um, so I can tell you that much. Yeah, I think the reasons that they brought in Pomerantz are a couple, a couple. One is, yes, at continuity, because Cy Vance is out as of, you know, he'll be a lame duck as of the primary, realistically, as of the Democratic primary in June. Um, and then he'll be really out as of January 2021. And, and if they charge this case, it certainly will carry well beyond that. Or 20, Two, 2022. Think, yeah. 22. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, I also think that um, it gives this whole investigation a bit of political insulation. So you could say, look, Pomerantz is not 
a political type. He's never run for any office or anything. And so ultimately, to the extent he has a lot of say in what happens, it's it's a bit more protected. And I think it's an interesting dynamic that Cy Vance himself is leading. I actually think this means Cy Vance ought to make the thumbs up, thumbs down, indict, don't indict decision before he leaves. Because then again, it's harder to claim there's politics at play if the decision's made by somebody who's not running for future political office. So I think if, if I'm Cy Vance right now, I'm thinking, I'm going to make this call before I leave. I, you know, what it will be, it will be. But if we do decide to prosecute this, I'm going to need to make sure I have an expert of high caliber with some political insulation. Pomerantz fits all of those things to carry this case on after I'm gone. Mm-hmm. And uh, word on the street is that Pomerantz has actually been conducting the the big interviews now. Yeah, I think I think that's uh, appropriate. And I think that's a, a very wise idea, because like I said, it, it's just he's not seen as a political actor. He's seen as a straight shooter and he's got a lot of capacity. I mean, he knows this criminal stuff from both sides, prosecution side, defense side. Um, so I think it's a smart move by Cy Vance. I was confused at first. It's unusual. I, I've never really heard of a prosecutor, a U.S. attorney, a DA, or an AG saying, let me bring in this high powered other person to run this one case. Um, you see that on the defense side, you'll see companies that get in trouble or private entities that get in trouble, or sometimes even government entities go hire someone to come in and do a special investigation. But usually prosecutors' offices approaches, we got this. We got hundreds of prosecutors here. We have plenty of people, but they went out and got this outsider. But it, but it's starting to come into focus to me now why that makes sense. Yeah. And it's just a clue to me that, that I think they're leaning toward actually charging the case. But I mean, I you know, that would be just purely speculative on my part. Uh, but, you know, I like to do that in my spare time. Yeah. And uh, and it also seems, you know, you know, bringing in in Pomerantz and kind of having him do the work, like you said, it provides that sort of insulation because, you know, Vance has been criticized quite a bit for dropping a fraud case against Ivanka and, and Don Jr. Yeah. Cy Vance has a, a very mixed history at best uh, when it comes to dropping charges against not just the two of them, but Harvey Weinstein originally. Uh, he went he, he, he tried he. His office was on board with release or relaxing Jeffrey Epstein's status on bail. Mm-hmm. Um, he he doesn't have a great history of this, and yeah, it's interesting. It it does seem to me. I I think if you ask me, what are the chances? Everyone always wants a percentage, which I won't do. But <laughs> um, what are the chances the Manhattan DA charges Donald Trump? I I feel like they're significantly higher now than they were a couple months ago. Um, for those reasons, for the fact that they're, they seem to be very seriously digging in with Michael Cohen. But keep in mind, people ought to keep in mind, it is possible that the result of this is there was criminality and we're going to charge the Trump organization, which yep. is very unsatisfying because that's just a charge against the corporate entity and nobody goes to jail for that. Um, and maybe one or two other actors. But remember, Donald Trump has the gift of insulation. And it's the same gift that bosses have a lot of times, whether it's in the mafia context or the corporate context, which is the high person on the totem pole always gets to insulate themselves and say, oh, I'm not really part of that. Or, you know, there's not a paper record, or I just rely on the accountants for that, or I just rely on the lawyers for that. And it's harder to make a case. So it is possible people would not like this, but it is possible that that the DA and Pomerantz end up charging the Trump organization, maybe a couple of other folks other than Donald Trump himself. That that's in play as well as a potential or he could charge the, the former president or he could decide there's no charges here. I don't know. Everything's in play right now. 
Yeah, and that's why I think Weisselberg is such an important witness, yeah. as, you know, as far as that insulation as the top guy. Yep. And also, I tend to think that what he was after in the Mazar's paperwork and the accounting paperwork wasn't the tax returns. He's had those. I think what he was after and why he never dropped that case was he lo- he's looking for something, a CYA memo from, mm. from their accounting firm saying, we don't recommend that you take the conservation easement on Seven Springs Estates if, if you sign here to release us from liability, something along those lines. That's interesting. Uh, yeah. Uh, but, w- you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yep. And uh, tell us tell us about your pod, where everyone can find you and how they get, in, get to follow you on Twitter. Third Degree Podcast. It is on Apple and uh, Spotify and wherever else you find podcasts. It is through Cafe, which, as you say, is Preet's outlet. We are having a great time with it. Basically, every Monday, Wednesday, I give a 10-minute uh, educational behind-the-scenes talk on whatever's happening in the news. And I really try to take you behind the scenes. For example, we're, we're doing one now on jury selection in the Chauvin trial. And not just sort of the mechanics Hard of how wire, it ought yes. to work, but what, what prosecutors are really thinking and what the defense is really thinking, what the real strategy is. And then on Fridays, I sit down with a law student. We have a cast of three law students who we rotate around, and it's really interesting to hear young people's perspectives and questions on these weighty issues of law, whether it was impeachment or the Chauvin trial or voting rights or whatever's in the news. They, they bring a real fresh perspective that I really appreciate. That's so cool. I hope they get credit. I hope they get class credit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they do. I don't think they do, but, but they should. I'm going to start writing letters to their professors uh, urging right. credit. I mean, come on, podcasting <laughs> podcasting's important. We need to support this industry. It is. I agree. And thank you so much, uh, former federal and state prosecutor. We'll talk to you soon. Ellie Honig. Thanks, Allison. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and today's episode of Daily Beans is brought to you by Fiverr, connecting businesses with freelancers to change how the world works together. Working as a team can be challenging, right? Trying to manage a group of people in a cohesive way to get everything on the same page is really difficult, especially when your freelancers go rogue. But that's where Fiverr comes in. Fiverr uh, Fiverr Business makes it incredibly easy to find and manage top talent. With Fiverr Business, you get access to an all-star team of super freelancers, plus the tools and support you need to easily integrate them into your existing workflow. So when it's time to nail your next big brand refresh or product launch or invest your pitch, you can feel confident with Fiverr covering all your bases. Uh, if you're hoping to grow your team and business, I recommend getting Fiverr's business help. Uh, in my experience, managing growing businesses can get com- complicated really fast. So for my next pos- podcast project, I'm using Fiverr. Fiverr business simplifies working with multiple freelancers and matches you with the best talent for every project. So stop wasting time searching for talent. Just leave it to Fiverr business. No more endless guessing and interviews. Plus, save and share your favorite freelancers for future projects. It's a simple way to set your business up for success and vastly increase productivity. Collaborating online hasn't been this easy since ever. And right now you can sign up for Fiverr Business absolutely free for the first year. Get one year free and save 10% on your purchase on Fiverr Business with promo code DAILYBEANS. Just go to fiverr.com slash business, F-I-V-E-R-R dot com slash business. And don't forget promo code DAILYBEANS. Everybody, welcome back. It is time for the good news. We made it. We did it. We got to the good news. We did. And I'm so glad. I love this part of the show. Yes, me too. Everyone, if you have good news or if you want to play any of our games like Misheard Song Lyrics or What the Mutt, where we try to guess your rescue pups breed... Uh, or breeds. Uh, you can send everything in, corrections, confessions, uh, disputes to settle in Amy's court. You can do that at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. We will be happy to read them on the air unless you don't want us to. Next, uh, well, not next, first. <laughs> first up, uh, we have a submission from 
Sean, pronouns he and him. Hello, ladies. I'm so thankful for your daily updates on the fire hose of news. Here is my submission for What the Mutt. Here's some pics of my 11-year-old pup, Tigger. He's only half German Shepherd, which surprised us. <laughs> the DNA test helped us figure out how he got his reddish-orange color. I'll leave it to you guess to guess what else is in there. Hmm. Looks like his breeder was super careful with pure breeding <laughs> until he came along. <laughs> Oops. Oh, my goodness. Ooh, that red fur. Is he a bloodhound? Or an, Aki- an Akita? Maybe a chow? A, blood- a bloodhound? What else is red? Those hound- those coon, uh, coon dogs? You know, the... Um, the the coon hound. There's also those like dogs that look like foxes. What are those? Is that Nikita? Oh uh, hmm. yeah, or maybe uh Visla. I don't know. Let's see. Let's see what we've got here. Oh, look how pretty. Parents are Rhodesian Ridgeback. Okay, what do we got here? We have oh my god. Oh, whoa. The mixed breed on the other parent. So we've got full German Shepherd with an American Pitbull Terrier Cocker Spaniel mix and a Rottweiler Chow Chow. Chow. Right the chow. Wow. And the great Grandparents, Cocker Spaniel, Roddy, Chow Chow. Wow, look at that. I love that the right, sli- the right side's German Shepherd, German Shepherd, German Shepherd, German Shepherd, German yeah. Shepherd. <laughs> yeah, they were very careful until... Very careful whoopsie. until that. Whoops. No, right. <laughs> it's very Prussian on the right. Thanks for fucking <laughs> yeah. up the family business. All right. <laughs> this next one is um, anonymous, but pronouns he, him from England. Personal news. Been a patron and a fan for some time, but always been irritated by the float on song as it reminded me of my first breakup, Aww. albeit 20 years ago. I often wound through it or just pause the podcast there, sometimes missing the good news. Fast forward to yesterday when I was singing along to it, and I realized you have cured me of my Pavlovian response to what was one of my favorite songs. Thanks. Yay. Yay. For my pod pet tags, meet Abraham Lincoln. My rescue bunny. <laughs> oh. Oh, my God. Meet <laughs> my rescue bunny, who um, I've... Reg- regimes? Yeah, maybe that's a typo. Yeah. Um, after their original owner was able, I've, mm, after I their, guess, I guess he got, he yeah, got he this got bunny after, after the original, original owner, owner was yeah. unable to keep him. Yes. It's his original name. That rabbit <gasps> is huge. Bun. Oh, that's a big bun. Oh, I love bunnies. Oh, what a love. All right. Just a real quick note here from Dave Peden rhymes with Eden. Happy spring. Love the beans and a picture of daffodils. So thank, thank you, you for, for the, the daffodils. daffodils. And then Jim in Albuquerque pronouns he and him says two pieces of good news. First, now that the VA can do non-emergency surgeries again, I was finally able to get the hernia I've had since April 2020 repaired. Second, the VA is going to give me the Pfizer COVID vaccine first shot next week and second in mid-April. For pet tax, I've sent pics of our cats and you posted them previously. Here's a photo of uh, a roadrunner. That used to hang around in my front yard uh, up and down the street. I used to get various people coming to my door trying to sell things, evangelize me, ask me to sign petitions, etc. I was sitting in my living room reading my book and I was startled by someone rapping on the picture window. I looked up, annoyed that I hadn't, they hadn't used the doorbell, and this bird was sitting on the window staring at me. He took off so fast, too fast for me to get a picture that time, but I spotted him sitting out there another day and took this one. Also, for What the Mutt, here's a photo of Ringa, a dog we had when I was a kid with my late brother. Ringa's the one with the collar. My stepsisters named the dog Ringo, but Ringo got pregnant. <laughs> so, Ringa it was. <laughs> we didn't know her ancestry. When the receptionist at the vet's office asked my stepdad, George, what breed she was, uh, he said she was a Transylvanian wolfhound, and that's what they put on her chart. But who knows? Sheepdog and terrier, maybe? Oh, so no answers to this one, but we can just guess. Oh, Aww. so cute. Yeah, I would 
I see a sheepdog and yeah, hmm. definitely. Maybe there's also some um, golden retriever. Mm, yeah, I see that in the coat, right? Yeah, that coat. in the coat. All right, thank you so much for that, and I'm glad that you get to have your hernia taken care of, Jim. And yeah. thank you for being from my si- uh, home city, Albuquerque, five hundred five. What? And congrats on uh, the Pfizer shot. Yeah, that's what I got. They gave me at the VA over here. If apparently Pfizer is going out to all the FEMA and government agencies, Moderna is going out to the pharmacies and private stuff. Uh, that's, I think, how uh, Biden seems to be splitting it up anyway. But thank you for your service, too. And yeah, ABQ, I've been rewatching Breaking Bad. So I'm, I'm so good. I'm, I'm all about the Albuquerque it right is now. So good. All right. More good news. This comes from Annie, pronouns she and her. Greetings and salutations, my lovelies. Ooh. I've been meaning to write y'all for quite some time now, but Friday's letter from Flora spurred me on because I too have a Barry Manilow song lyric I sang embarrassingly wrong. <laughs> Whenever the chorus started, I would belt out, Looks like tomatoes. <laughs> Looks like we Instead made of it. Instead looks like we made it. <laughs> yes. In my defense, I was only eight, but my mom let it go for far too long because she thought it was hilarious. But <laughs> even better than one is uh, the one of my husband's. We were listening to Billy Joel's scenes from an Italian restaurant. You know, bottle of wine, bottle of red, perhaps a bottle of rosé instead. Uh, then the song changes tune and tempo telling the story of high school sweethearts. Brenda and Eddie were the popular studies and king and queen of the prom, etc. Now, at this point, this wonderful, brilliant man turned to me and asked what I've always wondered. Who the fuck is Linda Renetti? <laughs> Instead of Brenda and, and why are they waving goodbye? Oh, Linda and Eddie. <laughs> I guess it has something to do with Joel's Long Island accent and putting an R at the end of words where it doesn't belong. Uh, Brenda and Eddie? Linda Renetti? Oh, my goodness. Anywho, for my pet tax, please see the attached photo of our sweet senior lady, Alice. The first photo is from the day we found her tied to a tree at the end of the road in Houston area. Wow. The day before tropical storm Imelda caused horrible flooding. And that was in September of 2019. Our vet estimated her to be around 13 to 15 years old. And she's mostly blind, mostly deaf, has breath that could knock a buzzard off a shit wagon, <laughs> and is likely a former puppy mill mommy. I tell you and your listeners this to remind everyone that old doggies can indeed be incredible blessings. This old gal has brought so much joy into our lives. It's hard to believe she's only been with us for just over a year. Mm. We may not have many years left with our peanut, but I hope to make her remaining time as splendid as she's making hours so please everyone when you're adopting don't overlook the old farts you just might luck out as much as we did thanks for everything that you do and for making the shit show so understandable in a caring and humorous way you all rock thank you oh look at hello kids thank you annie oh my gosh oh and look at the baby (gasps) westy look at scotty the the little scotty are they the same i think it's a westy but look at the scarf oh my god so dapper oh my goodness. Oh, they're both so beautiful. So that's, I guess that's when they got them. And then, uh, yeah. Oh, what a honey. Next up from anonymous pronoun she and her quick confession. After all the air supply discussion, when my baby sister was little, she's nine years younger than me. She asked me how air supply got their name. I told her it was their last names, of course. Fred Air and Johnny Supply. Flash Fred Air and Johnny Supply. Flash forward to present day. She's in her upper 30s now. And well, I fear she may still believe that the duo is Fred Air and Johnny Supply. I'm waiting for the day I get a phone call telling me she just completely embarrassed herself sharing her air supply knowledge to someone else. Oh my God, that's great. (gasps) Pod Pet Tax is a pile of corgi puppies. Oh my God. The two sisters are using their brother as a pillow. He doesn't seem to mind. Much love to everyone and thanks for all you do. Oh, this picture's hysterical. 
This picture is really adorable. <laughs> yeah, it, it's so there's one puppy. You know how puppies sleep on their back with their arms at their sides and their feet, out, you know, sticking straight out. So puppies sleeping like that, and then two puppies, one head rested on the belly, one head rested on the chest of this puppy on its back, and it's just it's amazing it's really just adorable yeah thank you so much for that truly amazing thanks for all these submissions please send your stuff in to us dailybeanspod.com click on contact we would love to hear from you and then also we've gotten so many wonderful people donating one-year memberships for premium feeds to people who can't swing it right now uh and so thank you for that if you want to get on a list to to be the recipient Definitely. of some of this incredibly wonderful charity you can do that by going to dailybeanspod.com also just scroll down on the front page and you'll see patrons helping patrons or something like that it's very cool thank you uh very much do you have anything you want to uh say before we end the show no just looking forward to chatting with everyone tonight on the stereo app it's a highlight of our week we've had a heavy week and so join us just to blow off some steam and have some laughs and ask us questions participate in the conversation i'm looking forward to it it will be fun and we do that every thursday at five pacific so we'll see you there and everybody take care of yourself take care of each other take care of your mental health and take care of the planet i've been ag and i've been dg and them's the beans the Daily Beans is directed, written, and hosted by executive producer Allison Gill and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Audio. Staff writers include Dana Goldberg, Amy Carrero, and Allison Gill. Our copy is written by Jesse Egan, and our marketing manager, executive assistant, and social media director is Kanai. Fact-checking and research by Allison Gill, Dana Goldberg, and Amy Carrero. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder of Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com. Hey, everybody, do not miss our Daily Beans After Party on the Stereo app. We'll be going live every Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. Dana and I want to hear from you. Our last stereo show went a little bit like this. Following the rules, making changes. You know, Being ethical and shit. In. I'm sorry, what? Being ethical? I know. Who the fuck ever heard of that? For the last four <laughs> years, we didn't remember any of that. I want to have a shirt. Just out here being ethical and shit. Oh, I love oh my it. God. All right, let's see what we got next here. Rosie here. <clears throat> Raphael is a certified loon. He's goofy as a damn cartoon. Betrayed our great land. We don't understand. Fuck you, Ted. Go back to Cancun. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Rosie. See, this Woo! is what I'm talking about. The creativity. <laughs> oh, that was a good one. Oh, my God. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, what a piece I of am- shit. I am getting real sick and tired, too, of, of people on, on Twitter and the social media saying Texas gets what it deserves. No. Um, yeah. This is not the the spirit of the Democratic Party. I have been saying forever when, you know, when we win back the White House, when we win Congress, every American deserves health care, uh, access to education, um, it's just everything you put the ballot box right you know access to the ballot box everything every american deserves that no matter who you voted for and that's Mm -hmm. this that's what i wanted to set us that's what sets us apart from republicans